We are looking at the second epistle, what is known to us as the second epistle to the Corinthians. You're going to find as we do this study that it's actually the third epistle. The second epistle is lost to us. Obviously, the Lord didn't want us to have that one, but this is the second epistle. So we're looking at chapter 1. We're going to look into chapter 2 now. Now, this is a very difficult letter for us to, to some of us to understand because a lot of what's going on in this letter, I'll just be very honest with you, is Paul reestablishing his credibility with the Corinthians. See, the Corinthians had, basically, they had an opportunity where they were listening to false teachers, that is, Judaizers, those who were legalists coming in, and these Judaizers or these false teachers were, were basically putting down Paul. And they were putting him down and, and saying he's not an apostle. We're from Jerusalem where the apostles are. And so they were discrediting Paul. And so in this letter, Paul is dealing with issues that they need to deal with. But he's also, as you see throughout the letter, trying to basically reestablish or help them to understand his credibility as an apostle. And the fact is, help them to understand that they exist as a church because he planted the church. And so we're going to see that throughout the letter. So, again, we're going to look today at the start of that when we see here in chapter 2, verse 12, through, excuse me, verse, chapter 1, verse 12, through chapter 2, verse, through chapter 2, verse 2. Now, let's look there. First of all, let's look at his general defense of integrity. In verses 12 through 14. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, with fleshy, not with fleshy wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. For we are not writing any other things to you than what we read or understand Now I trust you will understand even to the end. As also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. So let's look at a couple things here. Let's notice something. First of all, his testimony of his actions. He's going to talk about his actions. First of all, Paul boasted that they conducted themselves with holiness. Now they is in reference to Paul and his companions. Paul was boasting here that the way that he lived and the way that his companions lived was in holiness. Probably what he's doing here is answering, there's probably some teacher or somebody, some of these legalists who are saying that they weren't conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And you can see how that happens. I mean, you think about legalists that are in your life. What do you think for a moment? For them, holiness may mean that you dress the right way. Holiness may mean that you don't go to certain places. It just has not been that long before where going to the movie theater was very taboo. Do you guys remember that? Or holiness may mean that you carry the right Bible, the right version of the Bible. Now, have you folks met people like that? Met Christians like that? Maybe you've been in a church like that. Now, let me ask you a question. When you do the things that they 
view as being right. When you go the opposite direction, let's say you don't dress the right way, ladies. Instead of wearing skirts and dresses or whatever, you know, kulags or whatever, and you wear pants, how are you viewed? How are you viewed? Yeah, you're viewed as unholy. Now, here's a guy saying, and how do you ladies feel about it? When, you, when you're in that kind of a church and you're not dressing that way, how do you feel? Intimidated? Uncomfortable? Now you're speaking. Okay, anybody else? Guilty? Okay, Marilyn said the big word over there. Guilty? Okay, all right, guys, how about, how about the rest of us? Let's say you decide you're going to go to the branding iron for a steak on $5 steak night on Wednesday night. And as you walk into there to get your $5 steak, somebody from another, from one of those churches or whatever sees you, how does that make you feel? Do you see my point? See, this is what the Apostle Paul is addressing here. He's saying, he is boasting that they, what, conducted themselves in holiness. Now, let me explain something to you. Holiness is not following man-made rules. Because what happens is, and this is especially true, we call them in holiness churches, or even, even in some of our fundamental churches, we understand the standards of living what we, as we should. But what we do is we begin to define what those standards are. And so what happens is, is that when you break our definition of the standard, you are viewed as not right with God. And so Paul is saying to them, look guys, we conducted ourselves in a manner worthy of, of holiness. In a manner worthy of holiness. In fact, notice something here. The King James Version translates the word as simplicity. If you have a King James Bible, it says simplicity. Most other manuscripts translate the word as holiness. So when you look at verse 12, we conducted ourselves in the world in holiness. So the way they carried themselves was in holiness. Another thing he says is, is this. Paul boasted that they conducted themselves with godly sincerity. Now, when we talk about sincerity here, we're talking about a purity of motives. Their motives were pure. So when Paul went about his ministry, I want you to think about this for a moment. When Paul went about his ministry, Paul was conducting himself out of pure motives. His motives for doing ministry was out of pure, pure motives before God. Now, you and I have been exposed to people who have done ministry, and, and you know that why they do ministry, the reasons aren't pure, are they? You ever met people like that? You know, and it's very obvious because they're in it for what? Yeah, for what they can get out of it. So like if I shake Mike's hand here, you know, I'm, I'm looking to see if he puts something in my hand. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's not pure motives, is it? That's not pure motives. Because there's an expectation of getting something in return. And so, Paul says that he boasted not just that they conducted themselves in holiness, but that they also conducted themselves with sincerity, godly sincerity, out of pure motives in what they were doing. Now, he then goes on and describes, again, how he operates. And Paul boasted that they did not conduct themselves according to fleshy wisdom. Fleshy wisdom here is ultimately self-serving. They didn't conduct themselves based upon what, their, what they felt needed to be done. They conducted themselves based upon what they felt the Scripture was telling them to do. Do you understand? 
Another way of saying fleshy wisdom is this, conducting yourselves basically in, in terms of how your culture operates. And so he did it without worldly wisdom. But he also says this, how he did it, how he, his actions, how he conducted himself, Paul's conduct was a result of the grace of God. Notice what he says, verse 12. Not with fleshy wisdom, but by the grace of God. What's he saying here? When he conducted himself, he was conducting himself by the grace of God, by the mercy of God. That's an understanding that, look, the reason I'm even able to live today, the reason I'm able to get up in the morning and take another breath, is because somebody had grace on me. Who's that? God. The reason why you have salvation is because somebody had grace on you. Who? God. The reason why you've got gas in your tank, a job, or a home to live in, or the country you live in, is because of what? The grace of God. You could be in Afghanistan right now. Live in there. Talk about legalism. See, it's the grace of God. And so he conducted himself by the grace of God. And with an abundance of grace, Paul's conduct was marked by an abundance of grace towards them. So he not only lived in the grace, he also, what, showed grace. He also showed grace. Let me just stop for a moment. That is an important point. We're going to talk about this in a morning message today. Of all the people who should be gracious in our actions towards others, of all the people, Christians should be the number one group of people that show grace towards other people. Is it not true? Because grace has been shown to us. And that's what Paul did. Paul had an abundance of grace towards other people. And and think about it. I mean, it's really easy for us to get really upset with sin in other people's lives, isn't it? Because, I mean, it's terrible. But what happens is, is we forget about the sin in what? Our lives. And we forget about the grace that was shown to us. And, and I'll be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? If they're unsafe people, how do you expect them to act? If they don't know you're Jesus, do you expect them to clean up their act without Jesus? They've got to know you're Jesus first. That is the only way they're going to clean up their act. In fact, can I be honest with you? If it wasn't for Jesus in your life, you couldn't clean up your act. And some of you are still trying to clean it up. Well, okay. Paul then tells them the nature of his letters. Paul tells them that his writings to them are like his conduct. See, the reason why he starts off telling them, saying, guys, we conducted ourselves with holiness, we conducted ourselves with godly sincerity, that is, pure motives, we didn't conduct ourselves in fleshy wisdom, Our conduct is a result of God's grace, and we show grace in our conduct. The reason why he's telling him this is that when he gets to verse 13, he says, we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Why? What is he saying to them? Look, his writings are just like his life. So when he gets ready to write this letter, he wants them to understand it's of the same conduct of which he operates under. Pure motives, grace, godly sincerity, and so forth, holiness. So, then, notice their mutual appreciation. He says, both Paul and the Corinthians will be able to boast in each other in eternity. Why is he doing this? Because he wants them to understand that 
when they go to be with the Lord, when they go to be in heaven, then they'll be able to boast of each other. The Corinthians will be able to boast that Paul was our spiritual father. Paul established us in the faith. Paul will be able to boast the Corinthians are what? The fruit of my labor. So they'll be able to boast in each other. And that's what he's saying here. Now look, he, verse 15, now we go on here and we look, it's actually to verse 2, your book says to verse 4, but it's actually to verse 2. He's going to talk about some changed travel plans. He, he was supposed to go and visit them, but he made a decision to change his plans. And so some of the people there were a little upset that Paul changed his plans. What do you mean? You don't want to come visit us? And so he's going to defend himself in these verses concerning his changed travel plans and what's going on there. So let's look at verse 15 all the way up to verse 2 of chapter 2. And this confidence I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by the way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But as the God is faithful, and our word to you is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy. And for by faith you stand. For I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? Okay, this it seems to be a very... Let's be honest. How many of you we just read this say, boy, what's he talking about here? Remember I said this is a complicated letter. So let's go through it point by point and we'll see what he's saying here. First thing I want you to note is verse 15 through 16, he talks about his attended plan. Paul's intent was to visit them on the way to Jerusalem. Remember, he was, he was on his way to Jerusalem. And more than likely, we'll know later in the letter that what he was doing was bringing an offering from the Asian churches to help out the church in Jerusalem because they were going through severe persecution and famine. So his intent was to visit them. So originally, he, he was intent on visiting them. He wanted to visit them. Okay, we see that in verse 15 and 16. But now, in verse 17, he says that his plans changed. Paul stresses that he did not make his plans based upon self-interest. When he changed his plans, he wanted to point out to them, in verse 17, he wanted to say to them, guys, I don't make my plans based upon self-interest. It's not that I don't want to be there, or it's not that it's, it's that something else came up. And why, why is he saying this? It appears that there were some in Corinth who said his vacillating was a sign of fundamental unreliability. 
affecting not only where he went, but what he said. So what they're saying is that some of those false teachers there in Corinth, these legalists, were saying, oh, well, he said he's going to come visit you. Oh, he changed his mind. You can't believe anything Paul says, can you? So when he talks about that you are under grace and that you don't need to be living a law, then maybe he's not right in that either, is he? See, they were doing that. And they were being convinced by that. So Paul's got to address it. And he says, look, guys, I don't make my decisions of where I go based upon my selfish interest. Why? What, how did he make his decisions? He made it based upon what God wanted for his life. And we know that from the testimony of Acts. Where he wanted to go, God restrained him from going, and God sent him in another direction. Then we get to verse 18. Paul now has to stress the reliability of his message. Paul stresses the reliability of his message. He's got to point out to them, guys, that his message is reliable. Look at what verse 18. But God is faithful, and our word to you is not yes and no. It's not double-sided. You understand what I mean by that? By not yes and no. Like, I'm going to say to Tom here, Tom, yes. But what I really mean is no. So, when you have somebody who says yes, Bruce, can you trust a guy, you're a salesman, and you got, can you, well, you, you work in, you know, you work for a business, and you've got a client, and he'll say yes, but he really means no, and then you realize later, that he meant no. Can you trust that guy later on with a sale or anything? No. No, because he's unreliable. And see, Paul is saying that. He's saying, look, just as God is faithful, so are we. And our message isn't yes and no. It's not yes and no. In fact, he goes on now and talks about the unchanging nature of the gospel. The message proclaimed by Paul and his associates resulted in what? The Corinthians' salvation. He says, look, guys, this message that you're calling into question is the very message that brought you, what, to salvation? So if you're questioning my message, the next logical step is to question what? Yeah, your salvation. See, and they weren't questioning that. They were listening to these little voices questioning Paul's integrity. And Paul says, look, the message we gave you is what resulted in your salvation. What resulted in your salvation. And then notice he says this, the result of the message in their lives brought glory to God. The result of that message brought glory to God. We see that in verses 19 through 20. Then Paul stops. He kind of has to explain the nature of God's work for a minute. We'll spend a little bit of time here. Verse 21 to 22. He wants to take a moment to express to them the nature of the gospel's impact on their lives. And he expresses it in three different ways. So I want you to let's look at verse 21 and 22 again. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as our guarantee. So three th- key words I want you to focus on here. Anointed, sealed, and guarantee. So he's going to talk about the nature of God's work in our life. So when you look at your life and you look at salvation in your life, I want you to think in terms of three things in your life. Anointed, sealed, and guaranteed. Anointed, sealed, and guaranteed. So when we look at verse 21, he talks about an anointing. Paul makes the point that the believer is anointed with the Holy Spirit. 
Let me make that point here. The moment you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I will, I, you know, a moment seems too long. The instant you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you committed to yourself to Him by faith, at that instant, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, the third person of the Godhead, entered into your life forever. Does everybody understand that? This is not some subsequent work later on. He entered into your life. You were anointed with the Holy Spirit. So, I'm going to say it. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, and you have trusted in Him by faith, and you're sitting here in this room today, you aren't sitting here alone. You have the Holy Spirit within you right now. Does everybody need to understand that? He will be with you forever. There is not going to be a point in eternity where He will be separate from you. Does everybody understand that? So like when David says in Psalm 51, take not your Holy Spirit from me, I'm going to be honest with you, you can't say that. You can't say that. That may have been true of David, because the Holy Spirit's work was different then. It is not true now. There is no point in your life as a believer that the Holy Spirit will be separate from you. Does everybody understand? So you were anointed. Anointed. The other thing he says is you were sealed. Paul stresses the point that the Holy Spirit was given to us as the seal of our salvation. Now, here's the reason why He's going to be with you forever. He is the seal of your salvation. For instance, if you do a legal document and you've got the lawyers going on and all that stuff, and you've got something, some kind of paperwork, you ever notice that you have to get the document sealed? Maybe you've got to go to a notary and he puts his whatever on it, or a court document or whatever. It gets sealed. That stresses that the agreements within this document or the statements within this document are wholly true and, and, and they're valid or whatever. Everybody recognize that? That doesn't mean in our culture we don't break those contracts later because they do. But the point is, it's, that is what a seal is. Now, here's what the Holy Spirit does, which is a whole lot better than a human institution of sealing. The Holy Spirit then serves as our seal of what? Our salvation. Here, so for instance, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about because this is very evident. Maybe you're here and you sometimes will struggle with, well, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe, maybe I'm just a sin of my life. And you know, you get convicted. Can I tell you that the conviction that you feel because of your sin is an evidence of maybe salvation in your life? You say, what do you mean? Because if you weren't saved, according to the Bible, there not necessarily is going to be a conviction. Because you're just operating according to the course of this world. According to the desires of your flesh. The fact that you're wrestling with the issue of salvation in your life because of the sin in your life, to me, is an evidence of what? The Holy Spirit. Because what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Yeah, convict us or convince us of the sin in our lives. Does everybody understand? See, He is our seal. He's there with us forever. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Because here's the thing, and let me just encourage you, sometimes when you're in the midst of it, and you're going through it, and that boy, where are you, God? It just seems like you've abandoned me. Ever feel like that? Is it true? Why? Because who do you have? The Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? God. Do you see my point? He's our seal. You're sealed with Him. Then notice something. He's also our guarantee. The Holy Spirit is given to us as the seal of our 
excuse me, I've already said, Paul stresses that the Holy Spirit serves as our guarantee of salvation. The guarantee of your salvation is not based upon who? You. The guarantee of your salvation is based upon who? The Holy Spirit. He's your guarantee. God. Isn't that an awesome thought? Talk about, you can take that one to the bank. Now, don't, don't do that, but I will think you're crazy. But I mean, that's legitimate. That's legitimate. So then now, after taking a brief pause to talk about the nature of God's work, verse 23 and 24, Paul talks about the reason for changing plans. Paul's plans were changed because he did not want to have another confrontation. He gets right down to it. He says, guys, the reason why I'm not coming is not because I vacillate. It's not because I'm unreliable. It's not because I'm fickle. Guys, the reason why I'm not coming is because I don't want to have another confrontation with you. I don't want to come as a father who has to discipline. And you're going to see that stress throughout this letter where he's going to say to them, guys, if I came to you now because of the stuff in your lives, because of the stuff that you're struggling with there as a church. And remember, in the first letter, we saw a lot of stuff in the first letter, didn't we? He says this, there'd be a confrontation. And right now, I don't want that. I've got other things going on. I don't want to have to come and deal with it. So let's notice the last point. Because here he's going to mention the last visit. Look at verses 1 to 2. Let me just read these to you again. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? So what is he saying? Paul wanted to spare them a repeat of the painful experience of the last visit. So you've got to understand Paul a little bit here. There's some wisdom in what Paul's doing here. If every time you meet with me, I'm dropping the hammer on you. Boom! 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 What's that going to do to you? Yeah, it's going to discourage you. So it's like, oh no, Paul's coming again. <laughs> See, the Apostle Paul is wise here. He's saying what? Guys, I don't want to come and drop the hammer again. That's why I didn't come. It's not a question of me being fickle or unreliable. It's because of you and where you're at. You see, his, you see the grace in his life? You see the graciousness that he's showing towards them? Remember, that's how he's conducting himself. That's what he said earlier, that we conduct ourselves what, in holiness, out of pure motives, because of God's grace, and in the abundance of grace towards you. And he's showing grace to them by not showing up and dropping a hammer on them. He should have showed up. He should have dropped the hammer. But, you know, he's being led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go right now. Don't go right now. Hey, we're done with this lesson, but let me just say this. This is a complicated letter, but there are some principles in this letter that are awesome. Because this letter is not just one of those, ooh, everything's wonderful in Christianity letters. This is a letter that's expressing the kind of stuff that we go through in our churches and how Paul dealt with it. And it's a great letter for us to study. All right, let's close our time in prayer.